All right. Praise the Lord. Let us pray. Our precious Father, we just want to thank you for the privilege we have to gather this evening to study. We trust you to teach us, trust you to help us to understand these very important truths. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so we are continuing where we stopped. Before we had an ROG week, very wonderful session we shared, we had with them. So we are continuing with the, the things that are freely given to us through Jesus Christ. Salvation is a package. You must understand this. Salvation is a package of blessings that Jesus died, paid with his life, Give us. It's a package. It's something you must know. And it's important that you know everything in that package. Because you need all of them to be able to live a successful Christian life. So we see that it's so important that God sent Paul to go and teach the Gentiles this package called the riches of Christ. In Ephesians 3.8, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, God's consecrated people, I'm reading Amplified, this grace, this favor, this privilege was granted and graciously entrusted to, entrusted to proclaim to the Gentiles the unending, boundless Fathomless, incalculable, and exhaustless riches of Christ. He calls it wealth which no human being could have searched out. Wealth, riches, which no human being could have figured, searched out, produced, or worked for. Or Mary. And the Holy Spirit said, these gifts are boundless. It's limitless. It's fathomless. There's no bottom. It's incalculable. You can't use a calculator and calculate it. It's exhaustless. What God gave us is amazing. That's what the Bible says, that God does abundantly above Everything we can think, any, you can, nobody could think of this or even pray for it. Because what comes out of the mind of God is beyond human imagination and human calculation and articulations. That's why it's not, it's not subject to rational explanation. But you take the Holy Spirit, describe these things to us. Amazing. That's you begin to see why the writer said, the grace of God is truly amazing. That God gave us this. And that's why he said we should drink from the well of salvation. It's so deep, so wide. It doesn't, you can't exhaust the blessing. Wherever you are, it reaches you so wide. It, it, you can't exhaust it. Paul said, God called me to go and teach this thing. Now, you know, if you don't teach this thing, people will know it's there. 
And the people don't know it's there. They do without it. And what is supposed to solve in their lives remains unsolved. And the result will be to try to solve them another way. When God has provided free of charge, what solves that problem? See, that's why many don't see the relevance of going to church, being a Christian. They run all over the place. They think Christianity was set up so that one man will be praying for you, anointing with oil, everything for you. Well, there are people gifted. Sometimes it was, but it's as the Spirit wills. You don't turn it on, switch off. You may not see them some of this one year. It's as the Spirit wills. No man controls that aspect. But this one giving to everybody freely works for you. Anytime, tea, wherever you are. I was telling somebody, I said, why do I need the gift of healing? When I know I'm already healed, what do I need the gift of healing for? Christ already healed me, so why am I I looking for somebody with the gift of healing? What's he going to do for me? I'm looking for a prophet. Why am I looking for a prophet? I read the scripture. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. Give me revelation. If a prophet comes along and God gives him prophetic revelation, beautiful, it, it adds to what I know. So I'm not seeking those gifts. I am seeking Jesus. I am seeking the source of life, the source of wisdom, the source of knowledge. In him is all wisdom and knowledge that I need to have. And the Holy Spirit is here, my greatest teacher, my great teacher to reveal these things to me. So I go sit at the feet of my teacher and the people he has called into my life to teach me. I humble myself and listen to them. So you don't have to go far. Because whatever you need, God's brought it to you there. In your Sunday school, in your life center. You don't have to go far. In your life center, there are women's group, men's group. It's teaching you through people. It's not far. It's, you don't have to go far. God lays no burden on you. It will bring it down to your shell, bring it down to you. Brought it in the church. So you hear people he has gifted to teach. So if you know these things, that's what I'm trying to say. Paul said, I was sent to teach these things. He says, let me continue to read it. Verse 9. Also to enlighten all men and make plain to them what is the plan regarding these Gentiles and providing for the salvation of all men to teach salvation. What is the plan? This plan of God to bring this package of blessings of salvation of the mystery kept hidden through the ages and concealed until now in the mind of God who created all things by Christ Jesus. So in verse 12 he said, in whom because of our faith in him we dare to have the boldness, courage, confidence of free access an unreserved approach to God with freedom and without fear to receive these things. Man, I, I feel like saying praise the Lord right here. It, it's really exciting every Christian what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. So we started to focus on the gift of eternal life because it's very important. You know, the, 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 most, the, the, the thing that people want most is life. Whether physical life, spiritual life, 
when somebody is sick, you know how desperate we are for life. He will go everywhere, do anything they tell him to do just to be alive. They tell him, wake up by five, take this message, he wake up by five and take it. Any specialist that will help him, he will go there. That's how important life is to us. The same way, spiritual life is even more important. So we started to look at that. Because if you don't have life, you will not even understand the rest of the things that God has done. So we went there. Life. Primary thing we need is life. If somebody's dead, game over. You're not going to go to where he's lying and say, you know, um, they paid you, they paid you five thousand today. He won't he will hear you. He won't hear you. So that's why we started with life. So that we know what he gave us. We are no more dead spiritually. We are alive in Christ. And we, if you are sleeping as a Christian, the Bible says, wake up, oh thou that uh, sleepeth. So the light, the revelation, the truth will shine upon you. You wake people who are alive up and sh- light shines on them. Revelation comes to them. So we focus on eternal life, which is the life that is in Christ Jesus. We received when we received Christ into our lives. This is the real taste of true faith. It's amazing that the scripture says the true taste of a true Christian is this life in him. Is this life, this Christ in him, which many don't even know, don't even remember. It doesn't register. It doesn't register. But the Holy Spirit says, if you want to know whether you're really Christian, do you know that Christ is in you? And it's in the Bible, we read it all the time. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. How do I do that? Test yourself. Do you not know yourselves? Don't you know yourself? Don't you know what you know and what you don't know? Do you not know yourself that Jesus Christ is in you? Test yourself. Has he registered in you that Jesus Christ is in me? He said, test yourself. Then he goes on to say, unless indeed you are disqualified, but I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. It's amazing. You know why they say test? Because that's what, that's what proves whether you're a Christian or not. That Jesus is in you. It's proof that you are a Christian or not. And Paul said, test yourself if your faith is genuine. Do you know whether Christ lives in you or not? Don't you know what you know, what you don't know? Has he registered in you? It's not an idea. Has it become a reality, a truth that can be observed? Unless you don't have him and you are disqualified, which means you are not a child of God. He said, but you people know we, are, we have him, so we are children of God. Let's see, how, let's see how Christ in us is so critical and so important to our faith. Now he says, Romans 8, 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that spirit of God dwells in you. Now you see, 
He now says, now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So that's what Paul is saying. He said, taste your faith. Do you have the spirit of Christ in you or not? Do you not know? You should be able to know it. If you don't know it, then you are not part of, you are not one of his. Then in, um, it means that every believer must be familiar with this truth. That Christ Jesus lives in him or her. And be assured that they are sons of God. By this singular truth that Christ lives in me. Every believer must understand the importance of knowing that Christ is in him. Not as an idea, but as a reality. Secondly, the manifestation of his presence in me and in you, his life through the believer, is the proof to them and to anybody else that he's alive in them. That's what Paul is saying. He said, don't, are you saying you don't know he's in you? Haven't you seen his manifestations in your life through you? So when Paul was challenged as to whether Christ is, talks through him, the genuineness of his faith, whether he's fake or real, the evidence he's provided is this evidence that Christ lives in me. That's the evidence he provided. He said, and you people see his life shining out of me. What Paul is saying is this. Now let me, I brought two, two, uh, two of these things. We call it touch. They call it flashlight. Two. Two Christians. Two people say they are believers. This one say, yeah, I'm a Christian. This one say, yeah, you're a Christian. You say, I'm, I'm touched. This one say, I'm touched. They say, okay, fine. Let's see which one has the power. Let me press it. I don't know if the camera can get it. Piam, did you see anything? Huh? That's what Paul is saying. Now, let me press this one. Did you see anything? What did you see? Light that is in is. That's what Paul is saying. Christ in you. Being seen says Hey, this is flashlight, it has power. This is flashlight, it goes to church, it sits everywhere, dances more than everybody. You press it, darkness comes out. It's no light. That's what Paul is saying. Do you not know if Christ is in you? Don't you know? Can't you tell? By the light, it shines out of you. That's what Paul is saying. This world is in darkness. If there's light, you know. It doesn't need introduction. The whole world dwells in darkness. If there's light, you know. This light doesn't need to shout and yell. You see it. You see it. That's what Paul is saying. So, when Paul was now challenged in 2 Corinthians 13, 3, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, you want a proof. Who is not weak towards you, 
but mighty in you. He said Christ is in you. He's not weak towards his mighty. Yeah, but you want to prove that Christ is talking through me, that I'm a Christian, I'm not fake. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. He said, yeah, Jesus died in weakness on the cross, but now he's living by the power of God. For we also, we are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God towards you. He says, when you see our lives, you see the manifestation of his power, of his life. He lives by the power of God. You see it in us. It manifests through you. This light, pume, you see the light. He says, you see Christ in us. If you are asking me, prove that Christ is speaking through me. Look at him in me. He's there. You see it. You see the same power. He died in weakness, but he rose in power. He said, we too died in him. The old life died, and we rose in power too. He said, towards you, you see that power manifesting. That touch shows there's batteries there. It has power in there. Christ, the power of God. First Thessalonians 1.5. For our gospel came not unto you in words only. <laughs> We're here quoting scriptures, preaching, just the miracles. Say no, it didn't come in words only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost. In much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you. Say <laughs> so you know us. Our life is not hidden. The light again. So you don't come and say, ah, does it have power? It has. It has power. When they are gossiping in darkness, it shows the difference. When they are lying, it shows the difference. He's here. Paul said, we didn't come talking words only. You saw his power, the ability he gives. He said he died in weakness on the cross, but he rose with power. He said, we too died, and then we rose with him. He said, to us, you see that power. He said, you know what manner of people we are. You know what manner of people we are. You know. We're not trying to convince you. You know. As you know what manner of men we are among you. For your sake... Verses, and you became fullers of us because our life gave you assurance. We don't want to bamboozle you, you are men of God, you know. Our life spoke, gave you assurance. He says, then you will now become fullers of us and of the Lord because we follow him. And of the Lord, having received the word, a much affliction, you have had affliction with the assurance. You saw the reality of Christ in our life. And you followed us with joy of the Holy Ghost. That's what Paul is saying. Taste yourself. Taste. Not words. No. Taste yourself. Do you not know the crisis in you? Taste. He said, if you fail this taste, you could be, you may not be a Christian, you could be rejected. So Paul advising Timothy, his son, Advising Timothy, his son, said the proof of genuine faith 
is the life of Christ manifesting. The fruit it shows reveals the vine. A tree is known by its fruit. Not by noise, not by what what only, by its fruit. A tree. You know a mango, you see the fruit. Especially in these days of agricultural magic. So some trees don't look, but when they bring the mango, you know this mango. Whether it is Mexican mango, American mango, once you bring it, prove it's mango. Oh, this mango, this type of mango. Oh, I've never seen this type of mango. You didn't call it papa. Because it's mango. Even though you have never seen this type, but you know it's mango. You didn't say, oh, this is gova. No. You know a tree by its fruit. Taste yourself. Do you not know that Christ is in you unless you are reprobated? That's some translation says reprobates are people rejected, people who don't have Christ. So he says, he says to Timothy, let no man despise their youth, Timothy. It's not a question of your age. But be thou an example. Let that thing show. Example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. It's not a question of age, Timothy. It is Christ in you shining out. And our Lord Jesus also proved this authenticity by referring to what the Father in him was doing. I mean, it's the same thing because we are following Jesus. So John 14, 10 says, Believe it, thou know that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. So you don't believe the, the Father is in me. Just say, you don't believe Jesus is in me. Then he said, the words I speak unto you, I speak not of myself. But the Father who dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. Okay. Believe me that I'm in the Father and the Father in, in me. Or else believe for the very work's sake. Believe for what you see, my Father, do ye. I wasn't talking just miracles. He was talking about the words he spoke, his life, everything the Father was doing. He said, well, if you don't want to believe the word, testify that he's there. Again, let's go back to our example here. This is, this is, no, they, they have to change so I can, pam. No works, nothing shows the same type of, they sing every Sunday, go to church every Sunday. The same color. They dance. I am the reason you are, oh yeah, you are the reason. They're in darkness. Pam, it produces the something the world produces. Darkness. And it doesn't help anybody around it. Nobody around it can find its way with it. And so to God, it's not too useful. Be that example, Timothy. 
Let them see the light of God and guide them. Let it guide them to the right path. So they don't stumble. Show them this is stumbling. Gossiping is stumbling. Don't, I don't, did you see? This is the light. This is Christ. In all things. Becomes useful. Becomes different from the darkness around. And people want it because they need them to need to walk outside their troubles. So we are encouraged to also show our faith by his life in us. That's so that people can see that. Ephesians 4.20. But that isn't what you learned about Christ, which means you didn't learn about Christ the way people live, people live their life just anyhow. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, since you have accepted the gospel, 22, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust, deception, darkness. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts, attitudes, inside purity, sanctification of the Spirit, the soul, the body. 24, put on your new nature, created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. 25. So stop telling lies. Let me bring my touch again. They are lying. This is not lying. This is truth. When you say the truth, you shine the light. The word is light. If they are gossiping, you don't shine the light. Christ does. It's not gossip. Paul said, be that example in all things. When they are angry, throwing anger tantrums, the Bible said, the wrath of man does not walk the righteousness of God. You are the peacemaker. The person they think is foolish, weak, but you know you are the one that was walking in strength. Because Paul said, we walk by that power. I said, anointing is not just people fall. Anointing, primarily, is to live this life that is impossible for man to live. That shows Christ in you. The power of God is manifested. Paul said, we were weak, died with him. They will live by his power now towards you. It takes power not to lie. It takes power to love. It takes power to be humble. It takes power to, to ask for forgiveness. It takes power to humble yourself. It takes power for people to treat you wrong and you forgive them. It takes power, the power of Christ. It doesn't take power to lie. You don't need the anointing to lie. Because the anointing of God won't lie. Lying is natural to sinful nature. You don't need any faith or anything to lie. You don't need power to quarrel and fight and show anger. You don't need power for that. But you need power to forgive. You need power to let them trample upon you and your love. That's demonstration of power. That's what Paul is saying. That's demonstration of power. Christ in you, the power of it. So we live by his power. This strength 
that makes us live this life that's not coming. This thought needs power. It's power. Christ in us, the power. You can't be doing anointing, fall down anointing. But there is no power, no power to lift up Jesus and make yourself nothing. You don't have power for that. You don't have power to be honest and sincere and live within your means. You want to, people to see you what you are not. That's not the anointing of God. That's not the power of God. You don't need power to do all those things. It's natural to the flesh. You know, people, somebody come and they, you know, say, insulting you, are insulting back. You really, you don't have power. If you have power, you love him back. When you love him back, you are showing power, the power of Christ, to restrain the flesh. You are showing power at work to restrain the flesh. Because your flesh will want to talk back, but the power of God. Paul said we live by that power of God towards you. Christ is demonstration, demonstrating the greater one is giving you victory over the world. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth. For we are all parts of the same body. And don't, don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. For anger gives a foothold to the devil. If you are a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for good hard work and then give generously to others in need, for this life is not a selfish life. Don't use foul or abusive language, all in the name of being angry. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. And do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember now, he has identified you as his own. He lives in you, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind. It takes power to be kind to each other. Because people, some people don't deserve it. It takes power to overcome your flesh and be kind. It takes power to be tender-hearted. Forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. It, Paul said we live with the power of Christ towards you. We do all things through his power. We forgive through his power. We, we, for, we, we, we love you through his power. The ability he gives. So this new life, we activate it by faith. As we acknowledge it in us, say, trust yourself. Don't you know Christ is in you? Have you acknowledged him in you? It's the same with every other blessing that, the, that Jesus brought us as a salvation package. If we deny them, we won't have Matthew 10, 32. 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, deny, deny the world, you deny him. He says, I gave you this. You say, I don't have it. You are denying him. 
then he will deny you won't have it. It's only because we believe that it's ours, because these things are freely given to us. Romans 5 2. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. If you have a Bible, underline it. Undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently, joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So we have to acknowledge that we have them. We have to say so. I have to act like we have them. Mark eleven twenty four. I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe that you have received them, the day you start believing that you have received them, it will be yours. Anything you start claiming is yours, you own it. If you say your life is not good, you own it. That's what the way it's not. I tell people, stop all these negative stories. This is happening to me. If you know what is happening to me. This is happening to me. You own it. It's going to be happening. It's your mouth that condemned you, not another. You are owning it. Period. Okay, if, 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 you, if that is not your case, why are you telling it? Why are you telling it? Why not tell something like things have changed? Why not, if you really believe, if you say you have faith, you have believed, then say things that are not as if they were. Let your co- co- confession of faith and story be different. Oh, man, used to be so, now this is like this. Things have changed. Wow, all is well. This is wonderful. Yes! Whatever he says is yours, you own it. It's your mouth. The Bible says it sets somebody's destiny on fire, destroys where God wants to send it, because you won't hear. And you know talking is addictive. Well, that's not what I'm teaching. Proverbs 3 says, in all our ways, acknowledge him. He shall shall now direct your path. Acknowledge that I have this. I have this new life. Forget about the experience. Just talk. Say what God says. Consistently be saying it. At a point, start believing it. And once you start believing it, you see it manifesting in your life. The same thing with healing. All these blessings come the same way. They don't come different ways. The same way. Look at Psalm 107 verse 2. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so whom he had redeemed from the hand of the enemy. It's important that you say it. If you, if you, are, if you are ashamed of saying it, we're not going to have it. It's the way it works. Faith is released by saying it and by acting on it. Acts 14, 9. The same heart Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceived that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on, the, on thy feet, and he leaped and walked. He hadn't walked before. Paul saw he has believed before. I said, okay, activate it. Stand. How do you tell a man who has never walked to stand? Ha. Huh? Well, he said, but I've been praying. He didn't walk because he had not acted. Paul said, now nah, you stand up. Because you believe you have it, then stand up. Yeah. You believe you have this life of Christ, say so. I start acting like it. You know, my mentor gave a wonderful testimony. He said, all his life as a youth, he never had problem with adultery, sexual sin, all these things. He said, because everywhere I go, I tell them I'm a new Christian. He said, they'll be saying a new what? What do you mean a new? He said, before I know it, people will gather, I start teaching them about a new creature, born again. He said, everywhere, I don't care who you are. I introduce myself, I'm a new creature. 
You see, you say it, you act it, you experience it. No effort. But if you won't say it, and you, you, because you're ashamed to say it, you're looking for a reason not to say it, you say, ah, well, how should I say it? I, I have not experienced it. Then you won't experience it. Your mouth says so. God says, I gave it. You say, no, then that's it. You start saying too. Before you see it, Jesus says it's more blessed to believe before you see. But you want to see before you say so. It's not going to happen. So let's go to the next gift we received as our salvation package, the gift of righteousness. Now this one, many again feel more comfortable saying they are not righteous. I mean people have received Christ. They feel more comfortable saying they are not righteous than saying they are righteous. They will not say to anybody, you know I'm righteous. Oh, no, no. Because they, they don't feel comfortable saying so. Why? They look at you as if you are proud and boastful. Some even think it's blasphemy. So how can you say you are righteous? Are you perfect? <laughs> That's the question they ask. How can you say you are righteous? Are you perfect? Well, if you are waiting for the day you'll be perfect to be righteous, you'll never make it. And if that is your basis to, of hope to go into heaven, you better, be, you better be, be perfect now. Otherwise, if that is your basis for heaven, you are, you are not going there. You, you better be perfect. If that is the way you think God will accept you, better be perfect now. Because if you die without being perfect, you are not going there by your own admission. So he, 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 look at him. He said he's perfect. He says he's righteous. It's ignorant. Ignorance because they don't know what the word righteous means. By the way, even Bible told us that the old system did not make us perfect. The law made nothing perfect, but the bringing of a new way made us perfect in Christ. The Bible called us holy brethren. If you don't like it, tear it from your Bible. Rip that page off. Tell people never to read it to you. That's what the Holy Spirit said. He said it was God's plan to make us holy through Christ, through his blood, through the new life. It is his plan. It's in your Bible. So they, they, they don't feel they don't feel comfortable. Say, how can you say I'm not, I'm not righteous? I know I'm not righteous. So I, I, I'm trying every day. I will get there. And they think it's false doctrine. Actually, to deny your righteousness is false doctrine. <laughs> you are denying Bible. Is false doctrine. God says, I'm giving you righteousness as a gift. You say, no, I don't have it. Who is lying? You are the one. You're making God a liar. And others reject it right away, saying, ah, it will make people sin. No, there's no more consequence for sin. Are you saying everybody is righteous? Ah, how can you say that? So there's no more consequence for sin. No, that's not what he's saying. He didn't say so. You are the one thinking that of. And they say, hey, hey bro, this thing, would it promote sin? Let me even ask a simple question. Do you have obligation to forgive people? Of course, everybody preaches, how forgiveness is bad. Hey, you have to forgive. Okay, then, which means, if you forgive somebody, you are promoting sin too. <laughs> yeah, because that's what you are saying. But we said, you know, unforgiveness is bad. No, hey, you need to forgive. Bro, you have to. Yeah, please forgive him. Yeah. Okay. So if I forgive him, does it make him sin? 
Then I'm promoting sin, so the best thing is not to forgive him. So he pay, there's consequence for his sin. He knows it. You see, what we talk, we don't even know the, the implication of what we say. And we want God to practice unforgiveness too. And we say it's not good. So if I forgive somebody, does it make him commit sin? When God forgives me, you say it makes me commit sin. I mean, if it's ordinary reasoning, it doesn't add up. It doesn't add up. Because by saying that, what they're saying is not good to forgive people. Ah, if you forgive them, they'll be committing sin. So don't forgive them. So, so by not forgiving them, you're punishing them so that their punishment is what will change them. God will change them. It's your punishment. It's, it's, it's fallacy. It's false doctrine. The ways of God is not our ways. Man, man's heart is wicked, so he wants to punish and cut pound of, pound of flesh. Forgetting that he himself is sinning against people. He has forgotten that sinning against God every day. But the reverse is the case. The gift of righteousness makes you live holy. It's ignorance. It's because we've been taught by sense knowledge people who don't, know, who don't understand the gospel. So we're taken back to human reasoning, which even doesn't make sense. If forgiving somebody makes people commission, so why do you forgive them? Why not keep their malice? So by keeping malice, you make them change, so they know there's consequence for that. It doesn't even make sense. The reverse is the case. People, the Bible teaches the truth. Look at Romans 2.4. It's asking these people this simple question. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? That God is forgiving you and giving you gifts of righteousness? Does it not mean nothing to you? Did you say it will make somebody commit sin? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? It's this kindness of God that turns you from your sin. It's not your wicked heart of not forgiving somebody so you will know. So tomorrow you won't do it again. No. God's way is not a way. His way looks foolish to those who don't know him. His way is the way of love. <laughs> he said, my kindness. Because he knows us. He knows what works. He said, don't you know? Can't you see? That his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin. And it has always worked. Has always worked. That's why the Bible says love doesn't fail. But people who are blind to the truth think love will not will fail. They think what will work is a punishment and unforgiveness and punish him so tomorrow he won't do it again. Let's see examples. Before we go to this topic of gift of righteousness, we want to disabuse our minds from these things that clog it and we don't accept this gift that makes you live holy. That makes you live holy. Makes you live beyond your power and ability. Look at Zacchaeus. Was it the law that changed Zacchaeus? Was it... Unforgiveness is, is, is it, you are going to hell that changed Zacchaeus. No, 
What's Jen Zakao was Jesus accepted him when nobody accepted him. He showed him love. He said, he said don't you understand that, the, that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Let me say something here. If you are a new, if you are a Christian, listen to me. God wants you to love him. The number one law is love the Lord their God with all your heart. The only way you can love him is to experience his love. Period. If you don't know his love, you won't love him. And if you love him, you won't, you won't commit sin. Jesus said, if you love me, that's when you do what I say. You see, it works perfectly. He says, my kindness makes you love me. And if you love me, you do what I say. You know, if you love somebody, if you want to say anything, you do. Ah, you won't waste time. Ah, you won't waste You get up and do it quick. If he says, can you wear this? You like it? Ah, oh, wait. How does it look? look? Hey, you're so happy. If you love somebody, if you really love somebody, you won't hurt them. You will, you will defend them. You will fight for them. Anybody say anything against them, you jump out. And, and then find reason to defend them. Jesus said, if you love me, that's when you will do what I say. And he doesn't want you to do what he said because you are going to hell on this God. He doesn't want to be motivated by stuff like that. But God doesn't bring fear. The same thing that motivates God is the same thing that he wants to motivate all of us. His love. For God so loved the world. That's why he gave his son. And Paul said, his love now controls me. I love him. That's why I do with him. And this love, Ten Commandments won't give it to you. Only Jesus can put that life of love. Ten Commandments never brought us love. Jesus is the love of God, the grace of God. So Jesus came and saw this man nobody wants, embraced him, and did what was unthinkable. He said, I'm going to your house. I'm not even going, I'm going to stay. Me? The man could not believe it. Am I good enough? Jesus said, that's why I came. I came for those who are not good enough. Those people who say they are good, they can go. He said, the people who need the doctor is people who are sick. I came for you. Those who are lost, I came for you. I can't, I can't condemn you. I didn't even come to condemn you. I came to show you your what. I came to show you that God created you. And God that created you has not forgotten you. He still wants you. He loves you. He cares about you. It's his nature. He can't afford not to love you. He doesn't hate you. You are the work of his hand. I came to show you that daddy wants you back home. And so let's read it. And behold... There was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. You know, publicans are the most corrupt of them all. And he was rich because he was taking bribe from taxes. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste. Come down. For today I must abide. This Let me visit for five minutes. Now I'm going to abide. At your house. I, will, I, I came to visit, staying overnight. What? Do you know who I am? Of course, I know you. That's why I call your name. You didn't tell me your name. I knew who you are. But I came to show you that the God that created you 
loves you so much, sent me here to come and seek for you because you have value. We know what happened to you, the devil. The devil that caused all this trouble. So we came. I've come to seek you. I find you. Can we go home? Can we go home, Zacchaeus? You are, a, you are a child of Abraham. You have a covenant of God with you. God already blessed you with the blessings of your father. You don't have to steal to be rich. I want to stay with you. I'm not avoiding you. Everybody thinks, say you're a sinner, but I'm not calling you a sinner. I'm not condemning you. I just want to show you that God so loved you that he sent me. Man, and when you know, that should blow anybody's mind. He said, I must abide. I must abide at your house. And he made this and came down and received him joyfully. Nobody, I mean, joyfully. And seven. And when they saw it, they all murmured. See, that he had gone to be guest with a man who is a sinner. They began to murmur. They were avoiding him. The only person who accepted him was Jesus. For God so loved the world, including Zacchaeus. It wasn't fake love. It wasn't faking it. It was genuine love. Genuine. Real. God's heart was after. He was, do you love garbage? He loved him. It wasn't garbage. He created that man. He knew the devil did this to mankind. Verse 8, and Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods. See, he fell in love with Jesus. There was no thou shalt not. There was no Ten Commandments. There was not even reminding him that he was stealing. Jesus never preached to him about what he was doing. He just showed him love. Love be the way you are. I came for you. I came for you. You are good enough, Zacchaeus. Your daddy wants you. Father God wants you. For as much as you are a child of Abraham, that covenant is there. Covenant is not contract. Covenant is I die with you, live with you. Contract is if it's not good, you check out, I check out. Say you are a child of Abraham. God does not forget his covenant, Zacchaeus. You might forget and be stealing, but he doesn't. Because he doesn't lie. If he gives you his word, he gives you his word. If you're hearing me, you, you must understand that your healing is a covenant business. God doesn't forget that he's the God that he let you, and he made provision for you. You can forget and be taking, talking about all the sicknesses, he doesn't. His word is here and there. He healed you, he healed you. He fulfilled that covenant, stands by it, and he assured us of these things. But if God leave me, I'll teach it on living work of it. The extent God has gone to help us to enjoy his love. It's a real love, deeper than any man can understand. So he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goose I give to the poor. And if I've, take, if I've taken anything from any man by false acquisition, I restore him for food. And Jesus said unto him, This day, salvation come to this house for as much as he's, he also is a son of Abraham. 
He said he has a covenant with God. He has forgotten he doesn't have to steal. For the blessings of Abraham is his. And he says salvation has come. No salvation in the times of New Testament salvation. Because Christ has not died yet. Salvation has not been made available until the cross. What is saying here? Because he said, I was sent to the Lordship of Israel. That's why he told his disciples, don't tell anybody about me. Don't, when you go, don't preach to the Gentiles. Don't go to, he, he said, don't go to this realm of the Gentiles. Don't go to the Gentiles. Stay here. And don't tell anybody yet. The Gentile woman came to ask for, for, for healing. He said, this bread, this bread is for the children, not, not for outsiders. So he said, I was sent to the Lordship of Israel to come and call you back to your Abrahamic covenant of the, New, of the Old Testament. Because the Torah said, thou shalt not steal. So he says, uh, for the Son of Man has come to seek to save that which was lost. For now, lordship of Israel. When he came from the cross down, he said, you take the whole world. <laughs> salvation is now available by faith in me. He, know, he couldn't be talking of salvation after the cross because the scripture says that if, shall, if you shall believe that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. He hasn't died. He hasn't been raised from the dead. The blood hasn't been saved. How can you have salvation without the shedding of blood? There's no forgiveness of sin yet available to us, generally. Now let's see one more, because this is very interesting to the Lord. So I want us to open our heart and receive this gift of righteousness. And by the grace of God, by the time we explain this gift of righteousness, you will embrace it with all your heart. Because that's what will make you to stop sinning. The devil comes to tell you, it will make you to sin. No, it's a lie. That's what will make you to stop sinning. So Luke 7, 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping with joy. This woman fell in love with him because he saw the love is never seen before. Nobody ever showed him acceptance. If you have been rejected, you know the pain of rejection. Being a woman too. He knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. The glory of a woman was given to her for a covering. She, she yielded it to the Lord. When a woman uses her hair to wipe your feet, which you walk, do you get what that means? I lay my crown at your feet. You are the Lord. The crown of a woman. The Bible says God gave it to her for a covering. That's why they shave it when the husband dies. The glory of a woman. Well, we don't shave it anymore. They used to do that. He used it to wipe his feet. And then um, 
Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the, the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, hmm? If this man were a prophet, oh, he would have known what kind of woman is touching him, oh, she's a sinner. What they said about Zacchaeus. Then Jesus answered his thoughts, said, Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say. Go ahead, teacher. Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one, 50 pieces of silver to another, but neither of them could repay him. So you say righteousness will make me sin. Question is, how do I pay God for my righteousness? How do I get it? I can't pay for it. And you can't pay for it either. All these gifts that Christ died for give us, which one can you pay for? The Bible says it is bottomless. It, is, it's, it's, it has no depth. The, the Bible describes it as something unfathomable. How can you pay for gift of righteousness? How can you pay except it's giving free bread? And how do you stand before God and say I'm righteous? Is it by what you did? What did you do? You can't pay. So, but neither of them could prepare him. So he kindly forgave them both. Forgave them both and gave them what they don't deserve. Canceling their debt. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't even offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears, wiped them with her hair. You didn't even greet me with a kiss, but, she, but from the time I first came, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and there are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love. But the person who is forgiven little shows a little, little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. You see what I was saying? Say the kindness of God, the goodness of God produces genuine repentance. When God says something, you better believe it's true. We have seen examples here. This is a woman, nobody could change her. But Jesus showed her love she'd never seen before. The thing, the thing broke her heart. She, she came weeping. She, she, I don't marry this. This is so precious. You gave me this kind of, yeah. I came for you. Your father, God created you. The, the, the devil brought all these things to this world. He deceived Adam, did all these things. We know. But the greater has come. To the house of the one that's great. He takes the greater one to go take his force and destroy him. I come to set you free. You don't have strength. You can't set yourself free. You don't know. You're blind. I brought light to you. Jesus loves you. God loves you. This man couldn't stand this level of love. And she loved Jesus back. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. And Jesus said, That's the greatest commandment of everything. Up until today. And Jesus said, if you love anything more than me, you can't be my disciple. So what would make me love him? 
The Holy Spirit said, will you know his love? Say you love him. You don't, know he, you don't love him by ten commandments. You don't love him by looking at how good you have made yourself. That's a junk. You love him when you see how merciful he's been to you. How kind he's been to you. When you are humble enough to admit that you need mercy. That you need forgiveness. If you are humble enough to admit all the iniquity you've been committing. All the sin you've been committing. People didn't see. People, people saw. All the lying. All the, if you are humble enough. Humble enough. To say, I don't even merit entering your church. But here I am, Lord, because you love me. Just as I am, with, with, I can't, can't not, with no plea, I come. The man that went to the temple went outside and knelt and said, Lord, have mercy on me. I, I don't even have the courage to enter here. Jesus said, that's the one that God looked at. The one who has come to appreciate God's love for you. Self-righteousness will not let you. Because you think you have achieved it. Think you are good. Maybe I'm not so good, but at least I did try, sir. Hey, you, you won't love him. <laughs> you won't love him. You won't love him. Because you think you are somebody. You know, the Lord didn't change your name of these people. It's the love of God. So this gift that God is giving us is what will make us change. The life he gave us and the gift of righteousness. We don't merit it. Nobody merits any of these gifts. And the only way God can deal with you and me is by mercy anyway. Romans 3, 27. Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? Can anybody boast and say this is what I have done to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. So all of this will encourage us to receive the gift that God has given us. When you receive it, and then when you acknowledge it, then you see what it does in your life. You see the difference it makes in your life. You will not be looking down on it and say, oh, no, it cost me, make me come in. No. If you don't receive this gift of righteousness, your faith will not work. You will be condemned by the devil 24-7. And you think he's being humble. And you, you will not experience the blessings of God. Because you are denying what God, Jesus, died to give you. And you need it for life and godliness. Then this gift of righteousness, what is righteousness anyway in the eyes of God? Being in right relationship with God. A person who is acceptable to God. In right standing with God. A righteous, a person that is God accepts. The word righteous means being acceptable to God. Whatever God rejects is unrighteous. Whatever God accepts is righteous before him. A man approved by God is a righteous person before him. It's divine approver. Another word for it is justified by God. Whatever God justified is accepted to him. Therefore, righteousness, therefore, uh, righteousness before him, it means that God accepts you. God accepts you. God approves of you. God justifies you. You are not condemned before. If you are condemned, you get out. If you are justified, he accepts you. Now, how does a man become accepted by God? 
or be counted righteous by God. There are two ways the Bible teaches. Self-righteousness is the one you achieve yourself. That's what the Pharisees love. That's what a lot of people think they should have. Because they think, I'm going to be righteous. You are righteous. Say, no, I'm not righteous. When are you going to be righteous? I'm trying now. <laughs> it's ignorance. Self-righteousness. Romans 10, 5. For Moses writes that the law, law's way of making a person right with God requires obedience to all of its commandments. Not some. Not I am trying. Obedience to all of God's commandments. Without fail. All. And while we are at it, don't forget now that the scripture said all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So where do you even start? Where? <laughs> all have sinned. So even from starting, we have all fell. So what good are you going to do to stack up? You, we all failed. We are born sinners. Where do you start? And here is the major problem with self-righteousness. Hebrew 11 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But self-righteousness does not depend on faith because it's what you achieve yourself. It's self-achieved. It's what I have done. It's what I have done. Look at Galatians 3, 12. For the Lord does not rest on faith does not require faith, has nothing to do with faith. For it says, for itself says, he who does them, the things prescribed by the Lord shall live by them, not by faith. He didn't say, once you want to achieve self-righteousness, he said, he who does these things shall live by them. He didn't say, who, who lives by faith? You know, he said, you do them. It's what you do. So you don't, you do, you don't have to trust God. You want to, you set out to do that to achieve it, and remember who is trying to achieve this. A man, the Bible said, we have all sinned already, fallen short of the glory of God. So what are you going to achieve? He said, this way of self-righteousness does not require faith in God because God is not involved, it's not participating, it's you, a man who doeth them. He didn't say a man who lives by faith. No, you do them. You, do them. Do, go and do. The law is here. I take it, do. And who was the law given to? The person the Bible told us, by nature, is a child of wrath. He was given the law to keep. Which one? By nature, a child of wrath. God says, he's subject to the spirit that walketh the children of disobedience. So that's how we were, all, all of us were. So now, how can I come and say, I'm going to be show God how righteous, which righteousness. The Bible says none is righteous, no, not one. At the end of the day, he said, here is the result. Not one is righteous. Nobody could do that. And moreover, we're trying to do that without God. Because it's not a way of faith. It's a way of self-achievement. So we repeat it, Hebrew 11 says that the without faith is impossible to please God. Now, this method of trying self-righteousness is without faith. So how can it ever please God? It's an impossible task. Second John, I mean John 15:5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abided in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. 
For without me, you can do nothing. But now I'm trying to do something without him. Trying to achieve self-righteousness. Look at what he leaves a month with. Galatians 3.10. But those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God are under his cause. See what I was saying at the beginning? This is one reason people don't enjoy blessings of God. Because they want to appear before him with their self-righteousness. With their own what they have achieved. And he said, well, if that is the reason you want to come, but those who depend on the Lord to make them right with God, to be accepted by God, they're under his cause. For the scripture says, cause is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commands that are written in God's book of the law. They're under God's cause. They have not <laughs> a man who is seen, falling short of the glory of God, by nature, by nature, child of God, wants to do something without Christ, Without Christ. And Christ said, without me, you can do nothing. But he wants to do it. Ephesians 2.12. In those days, you were without, you're living apart from Christ. This is the life of somebody who lives apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel. And you did not know the covenant promises of God. God made to them. You lived in this world without God, without hope. So if I want to achieve self-righteousness, I'm trying to act without hope, without God. For with Christ is the only hope of glory. Now I'm trying to achieve it myself. The prophet called it Futerag. Isaiah 6, 1. But we, we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness, all of it, are as Futerags. Human flesh will profit us zero. Nothing. I will stop here. The next Thursday will continue. Uh, I wanted to lay that background to open your heart so you'll be able to receive it. And when we come on Thursday, I'll do a little bit of a reminder on the background to help you to receive this. And by the time you see the benefit of this thing, you'll run for it. You really, you really run for it. You, you won't waste one minute. You go grab it because you need it. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we just want to thank you again for the privilege we have to hear these words and to prepare our hearts to really accept everything Christ died for us. Because those things are the things we need for life and godliness. They are the things that make us live this life of Christ. This life that you prepare for us. Thank you for reminding us of these things. Blessed be thy name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.